Friends, hear the good news, best news of all time. John tells us this. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Praise God. Believe the good news of the gospel. That great light, which is God's love for us in Jesus Christ, overshadows all darkness, heals us of all of our diseases, crowns us with his steadfast love, and gives us eternity with him. Believe that good news and tell it to the world. In Jesus Christ, we are are forgiven. Amen. Lord, all majesty belongs to you. And we humbly bow down, praising you for equipping us with every good gift. These which we return and those gifts that are within us that you've given us to praise your name. Lord, receive these gifts and use every single one of us and every single part of us to bring glory to your name that other people might come and know the sweetness of being set free from the chains of bondage to sin by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. That sounded like church. That was great. I was, uh, interestingly... uh, I was in Miller Chapel at Princeton Theological Seminary in 1984 when that hymn was, or that anthem was debuted and and got to sing that for one of the very first times. And it was powerful in that place, and it was powerful here today. Thank you for being a great massed choir. You did great. And today, how, how fitting that we remember that great word, that all majesty belongs to God, as we cap this series on what the pillars are of God's reforming grace that poured into his church 500 years ago in the Reformation. And today we we look at that crowning element of Scripture alone as being our great hope because of God's grace. We look at that through a number of places, and and God's Word is filled with this. But first we, we turn to a Scripture not listed in your Bible, Paul's words to his protege, Timothy late in his career, as he's passing the mantle on t- to Timothy, he writes these words in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but in particular, verses 16 and 17. And I'm going to start actually back at, at verse 14. Listen to God's word. But as for you, and he's writing to Timothy, but he's really writing to all of us in the power of God's Holy Spirit. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. That's what we're talking about this morning as those little girls are getting their Bibles. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And I don't think Paul's talking first and foremost about himself. He's talking about how God speaks through his Holy Spirit in God's Word. And how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful, profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. And then turning to Paul's Magna Carta, if you will, the letter to the Galatians about what true Christian freedom is and where that comes from. Listen to these words. In the first chapter, the verses 6 through 9, Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I am astonished, Paul writes, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there isn't another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel, or messenger that is, from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. And then in his words to the Corinthian church, the first letter, the 14th chapter, verses 37 and 38, anyone who claims to be a prophet or to have spiritual powers must acknowledge that what I am writing to you is a command of the Lord. Anyone who does not recognize this is not to be recognized. So, my friends, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things, here's the great Presbyterian verse, but all things should be done decently and in order. <laughs> Got a rule for everything and a ru everything for a rule. And then finally, from the letter to Jude, a letter that's being studied on our Sunday morning Sunday school class, verses 3 and 4. Beloved, beloved, while eagerly preparing to write to you about the salvation we share, I find it necessary to write and appeal to you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And who are the saints? We are. For certain intruders have stolen in among you, people who long ago were designated for this condemnation as ungodly, who pervert the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God bring to our hearts and minds awareness today through this reading that this is, in fact, the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your good news would come now, not only in Word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our salvation. And we pray all these things, Lord Jesus, in your strong name. Amen. Well, as we've come to this wrap-up or conclusion, I hesitate to use the word conclusion. I hope this is the launching point of looking into these five pillars of the Reformation, the solas. Remember, sola means only, just this. I, I wondered 
And I talked with a couple of you about this. I wondered why I put Scripture alone at the end rather than last week's glory to God alone. And then it occurred to me, as a, as a good Presbyterian, two reasons. First of all, I learned long ago that at the core of our Reformed understanding of God, this, like everything else, was foreordained before the foundations of time. I was, it wasn't me who chose to do it. It was God. I might think it was my idea, but... And, and lest it might seem in jest or, or like, well, what do you mean God did all that? Think about this. The first four pillars are grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone, even glory to God alone. Where do those come from? They're derived from the one source God has breathed into us. Scripture alone. We know that all glory is to go, go to God alone because of Scripture. We know that it's Jesus Christ alone because of what Scripture tells us. And grace and faith because God's word testifies to that, speaks to our hearts. We only know who and whose we are because God has told us his story through his word that he breathed. The late great John Stott said it so well. Scripture itself or its human authors were not breathed into by God, but Scripture was breathed out by God. Key distinction. Breathed out by God, not breathed into just those individuals. Get this. Scripture originates in God's mind. Scripture originates in God's mind and was communicated from God's mouth by God's breath or spirit. The Hebrew word is ruach, ruach, that breath of God coming out. It is therefore rightly termed the word of God, for God spoke it. God spoke this. From Genesis to Revelation, every word, God spoke this. Indeed, as the prophets used to say, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Thus saith the Lord. In other words, Scripture could not come from anyone or anywhere unless it first came from God. This is why Scripture is so vital, literally life-giving. Because by it, God not only reveals himself and his character, but his upper story of redemption into our lower story of need. That's the power of God's word, the richness. That's why we can say it's, it's sweeter on our lips than honey. Karl Barth, the pro prolific German-Swiss theologian who, who wrote so amazingly about God's word, was asked to comment late in his life on how he had come to understand God's nature so thoroughly and so completely. And he replied, oh, that's easy. My mother taught me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 10,000 pages of theology, and he summed it up with that. The Bible tells me about the nature of God. The heavens are telling, but God's word most particularly, specifically, literally tells us about who God is. There it is. Scripture alone leads us to that place of entering the vast and amazing 
nature of knowing God. How often have you felt like, I just don't know God? Or have somebody said, well, you can't know God. Oh, yes, we can. God's Word proclaims that. God's Holy Spirit breathes it out and into us and into every troubled breast, as the, the hymn says. Breathe, O oh, breathe, thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. That is God's Word. The acronym, Bible, do you know the, what B-I-B-L-E stands for? Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. That's a good word, but it's not enough because the Bible is more than a map into eternity. It is the Word of God, the living God, who meets us in our everyday journeys through the intricacies of this life and all that we face in it. The Bible is God's love letter, if you will, to us that woos us through the breath of God's Holy Spirit to that place where grace and faith in Christ and God's glory pick us up and take us to a place of newness of life that show us how much more there is than just this lower story, that show us what we really need and provide that need. No human word can do this, my friends. No human word can do this, and there's a lot of frustration in our world because that's what we're expecting, that somehow a human word or solution is going to make things right. It won't. Scripture alone tells us that. Scripture testifies to itself in this, not only in saying that nothing can be added to Scripture. You know that. This word says nothing can be added to it. Accursed should be someone. Paul has just written to this to us. If anyone tries to add to this, accursed may they be. But it also shows that there is nothing that can compare or begin to exceed its transcendent message. Nothing is going to add to this. Nothing is going to be the supersession that says, oh, well, now we know this. Uh-uh. This is all you need. It's all any of us has needed. No other teaching promises what the Word of God promises because no other word, even in and from within the church itself, teaches us what the essence of God is, like God's Word can do and does. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, as Scripture alone does this. That's our hope. It's not meant to be added to. It never was, it never will be. To think so is to think this. Oh, I was supposed to look different. I was supposed to be taller or shorter or rounder or thinner or smarter or better looking. But you know what? If any of these things were true of us, we would not be who we are. And it is in being who we are that we are led to seek none of the things we are not, but to seek the face of God alone. And that's what Scripture does. If Scripture were any different than what it is, it would not take us to where we need to be. It takes us before the face of God. Coram Deo, the great Latin statement. Look at how complete the Bible is in that it can speak so specifically to every human life in every age. Again, John Stott is really helpful. He says, the whole Bible unfolds the divine scheme of salvation. And I know some of you get bogged down in some of those metrics of the Old Testament, like how many cubits are, it was the Ark of the Covenant supposed to be. But even that 
shows us how precise God intends his word to be for us. John Stott says, the whole Bible unfolds this, our being created in God's image, our fall through disobedience into sin under judgment, God's continuing love for us in spite of our rebellion, God's eternal plan to save us through his covenant of grace which he instituted with us while we were yet sinners and lost in our ways, culminating in Christ, the coming of Christ as the Savior who died to bear our sin, was raised from death, was exalted to heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit, and our rescue first from guilt and alienation, then from bondage, and finally mortality to experience the liberty of forever as God's children. There it is. In those few sentences is the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. None of this, he says, would be known apart from biblical revelation. And if we know the Bible, we will know this. And if we know this, we will know all we ever need to know. As John Calvin said, listen to this, 500 years ago, Scripture contains the perfect rule of a good and happy life. Thus, he who knows how to use the Scriptures properly, Calvin said, is in want of nothing for salvation or for a holy life. Accordingly, he who is not satisfied with Scripture desires to be wiser than is either proper or desirable, and I would add possible. Woe to us if we will not listen to God when he speaks to us, seeing that God has nothing but our advantage at heart when he speaks his word. That's why God speaks to us through his word. He wants one thing, for us to be complete and whole in him. But if we do not know the word of God as God's word to us, we say, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. That should not be a perfunctory exercise. That should be us going, whoa, we're on holy ground here. That's God's word. John Calvin said that when the word of God is rightly proclaimed, it is no longer the word of the speaker, but it is the word of God himself. Whoa. We dare not treat lightly this amazing gift. If we do not know it as God's word to us, and that has happened. Much of the world, and even in our churches, if we do not know this as the word of the eternal God, we are likely to become, as C.S. Lewis said, half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the ocean. We are, Lewis says, far too easily pleased. As I said to one of you this week regarding how we can tend to look at Scripture, I have long appreciated this quote from Lewis. And today it makes me wonder, what are the mud pies that we're making today in a slum? It can change from chapter to chapter in life, but it is most often characterized by our looking inward and backward rather than outward and forward to what God is, has done and wants to do for us up the road. 
You see, it isn't what we think God's word is or isn't. And it isn't the human spin and interpretation or even ignorance of the truth of Scripture that makes Scripture powerful. We don't empower God's word. We do not empower the cross. They are powerful in and of themselves. That's our problem. We think we're the ones who make these powerful by the way we believe. Scripture is authority because it is the Word of God, and the Word of God, who is Jesus Christ, is calling to us through the Bible to come out of the slums of our short-sighted and sinful ways to experience the fresh air of who He is as the one who speaks with authority. He says, quit making mud pies. Come to the ocean. Breathe deeply. I have a gift for you. Again, Lewis is so helpful. Unless the religious claims of the Bible are again acknowledged, its literary claims will, I think, be given only mouth honor, and that decreasingly, amen? Isn't that what's happening in our world? We treat it like it might have been some old piece of literature like Shakespeare, but who reads Shakespeare anymore? And the same thing is happening with the Bible. It is, he says, if you like to put it that way, not merely a sacred book, but a book so remorselessly and continuously sacred that it does not invite, but rather excludes or expels the merely aesthetic approach. The Bible will not allow itself to be treated as literature. It makes definite claims that cut against that whole approach. You can read it as literature only by forcing it to be only literature, but you're ignoring so much. You are, he says, cutting the wood against the grain, using the tool for a purpose it was not intended to serve. It demands incessantly to be taken on its own terms. The Bible needs to be read on its own terms to speak for itself. It will not continue to give literary delight, Lewis says, very long except for those who go to it for something quite different. If we go to try to make the Bible something that it is not, we can try to make it serve us, but that's not how it works. We serve what God has proclaimed in his word. When, When we miss this, we become like that ship that was off course, but only by one degree, but it was off course for 24 hours. It missed where it meant it was meant to be. So can we be when we think we can ignore or modify this amazing gift of God's word to fit our day and our situation? Again, John Stott said it so well. He said it in 1973 when I had actually had a chance to hear him say this in person. He wrote, the, st- the times of stress in which we seem to be living are very distressing. Sometimes one wonders if the world and the church have gone mad. This is 1973. Sometimes one wonders if the church and the world together have gone mad. So strange are their views and so lax their standards. Some Christians are swept from their moorings by the flood tide of sin and error. Others go into hiding as offering the best hope of survival. Uh, the only alternative to surrender to culture. So we, we become a fortress mentality. But none of these, he says, is the Christian way. Scripture calls us to stand firm. Never mind if the pressure to conform to the world's ways is very strong. Never mind if you are weak or weary. Never mind if you are the only one 
who is hanging on to God's word. Continue in what you have learned and keep holding on to God's word. What Stott said in 73, Paul wrote in AD 53, and God says again today in 2018, let it alone be what makes us strong. My friends, this is how God's word alone, with grace and faith through Jesus Christ for God's glory, will carry us and lift us and give us joy and hope and peace, patience and perseverance every single day. It is a gift to which nothing, nothing, nothing can compare. And it is testified to for us at this table where God came in person and said, remember, may we receive this and take it with joy as God's word and only God's word. And if you never have done that, if you have never picked this up and realized that this is the word of God, that love letter spoken to your heart for every single need you have. May this be the day. And if, if you need to do that, as I think we all do, may this be the place that that happens to the glory of God alone. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do not want to be swept from our moorings. We want to be anchored firmly in the firm song, the cantus firmus of your holy word, sola scriptura. And we want to stand before you, before your face, Coram Deo, your face alone. And we want to see you smile. We want to hear you say, well done, as we listen to you and obey you and trust you. Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, lead us to that place that only you can take us by your grace. Be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, how we do praise you that we stand on the firm foundation of who you are, of your life and death and resurrection, of your grace, of the gift of faith, of your holy word that alone reveals to us those truths, ancient and timeless and permanent, that lead us to your sanctifying and glorious place of grace. Lord, because we've been here, let that be evident through us. Let us stand firm in those pillars and hold fast to what you have taught us for your sake. All these things we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Now would you stand, please, and receive that great gift of God's good word. Remember, where we go, remember. Remember, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it. And go, therefore, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion, and the fellowship, and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen. Thank you.